of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe, speaking for those with no voice, speaking truth to power, sharing the news of the cognitive minority as we begin to manifest a new normal for the quality of life for the 99%. Can you see it changing? Can you feel it? Are you helping make it change? Well, maybe if you are, you're someone who identifies with the Artemis archetype, who our guest tonight, Jean Schnoda Bolin, says was the first model for women who lean in. Yes, tonight we have returning to the show a favorite guest of ours, a foremother, a goddess advocate, a contributor to my recent anthology of show guests, Uh, titled Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape the World. Yes, the wise woman, Jean Shinoda Bowen, is with us discussing her newest book that came out a few months ago, titled Artemis, The Indomitable Spirit in Every Woman. And yes, we're going to ask her why she thinks Artemis seems to be trending right now. But first, uh, I just want to thank all of you for the get well wishes and emails. I know I did sound pretty bad last week, uh, but thank you for hanging in there with me, and uh, thank you for the uh, for the healing energy and uh, and get well wishes. And also uh, a shout out to the artist whose uh, music opened the show. That was Lisa Thiel, and you were listening to a snippet from her single warrior goddess, which I chose tonight because of the Amazons whose warrior, uh, you know, those warrior women who so revered Artemis. And speaking of the Amazons, if you're in the Los Angeles area tomorrow night, the Getty Villa in Malibu is featuring a talk by Adrian Mayer, who has written a new book on the Amazons, perhaps the definitive book on these warrior women, and there are still free tickets available. Last time I looked uh, online at the Getty Villa earlier today. Um, so uh, if you're free tomorrow night, I think it starts at 7:30. Don't miss that opportunity. They have uh, awesome presentations over there often, and uh, they're always free. You just have to pay to park. And uh, if you're not in the area, have no fear. Adrian will be uh, here on the show on April 9th. Yes, uh, Adrian Mayer will be here talking about her book on the Amazons, April 9th. We will find out, were they real? I kind of think they were. And uh, then uh, Janine David Kimball, maybe you've heard of her. Uh, She also is the author of a book called Warrior Women about the roots of the Amazon. Uh, She's uh, the Amazon women. She's going to be with me on April 29th. 
And coming back full circle to Artemis, on Tuesday, March 10th, Dr. James Riedfeld will be with me discussing his new book on Artemis of the Ephesians. So, you know, you might want to save the date, April 9th, April 29th, uh, March 10th. But you know what? You don't have to save the dates if you just hit the follow button on my show page. That will make sure you um, get notices of all the shows that uh, come up every week. You won't miss a thing. And you will be sure to be part of the growing international family of uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine here on Blog Talk. And if you stay with me tonight after my interview with Jean, I'm going to be sharing an excerpt from my book, Goddess Calling, from uh, the chapter titled, uh, Three Times Goddess Noticed, telling about three distinct times I believe Goddess showed she was aware and showed herself in several different ways. I guess that answers the question you might have. Does Karen believe there is really a goddess up there in the heavens, that she's more than just an archetype and an ideal? but maybe she's also a deity? Well, while it might be anti-intellectual to many to say so, I, uh, I have to. Sometimes things that just happen that leave you with uh, only one alternative. Uh, so yes, this skeptic does believe. Uh, some of you were surprised to learn um, that our beloved foremother, Barbara Walker, was an, a- was an atheist. And um, and some of you submitted the same question tonight for Jean, so uh, I will pose that to her uh, when we get her on the line with us very soon here. I believe she just uh, popped up on the switchboard. So uh, we'll see what she has to say. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Artemis as archetype, uh, that's for sure. And we want to find out just why Artemis is trending so much these days. <clears throat> so... Um, I'll also uh, share with you after um, three times goddess uh, goddess noticed uh, the writing ten ways to make a difference. Uh, they're short, they're quick, and uh, I think they're kind of important because that's always what people ask me when I give interviews about my books. So, Karen, all of that stuff sounds great. It's wonderful to hear about history, but what can we really do? Um, tell us some things. How can we help? So I'll be telling you 10 ways to make a difference. And, uh, you know, I might even open the chat room tonight so you can join in and let me know how your manifestation and gratitude exercises have been going. So stick around. And, um, okay, the housekeeping out of the way. Um, It's time to chat with tonight's insightful guest and wise woman, Jean Shinoda Bolin. Let me tell you more about her by way of her bio uh, before we begin our chat. And this is just her short bio because this lady has uh, an incredible amount of accomplishments. Uh, Jean Shinoda Bolin, MD, is a psychiatrist, Jungian analyst, internationally known author and speaker. She is a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association and a former clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California at San Francisco. She's the author of 13 books, including Goddesses and Every Woman, Crones Don't Wine, Urgent Message from Mother, uh, from, from Mother uh, Close to the Bone, Uh, Like a Tree, and more. Uh, The Millionth Circle Initiative was inspired by her book and led to her advocacy for a UN Fifth World Conference on Women. I know she's been in a number of documentaries, uh, the Academy Award-winning anti-nuclear proliferation film uh, titled Women for America for the World, the Canadian Film Board's Goddess Remembered, 
and the one I'm also in with her, Femme Women Healing the World. So, um, hi, Jean. Thanks for being with us tonight. Hi, Karen. I'm so glad I just made it in the nick of time. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know I know you're a busy lady wearing a lot of hats, and Betty assured me you were going to call in, so I was just stretching things. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that very much because it was, because I had another hat on with an emergent thing coming up about my attendance at the UN Commission on the Status of Women coming up. Okay, and well, in the nick, I got that <laughs> taken care of. And, and by the way, I'm bringing Artemis to uh, to the UN. I have a talk scheduled um, describing the archetype of the activist. And wow, the Artemis archetype. And so it's You're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving me goosebumps. Well, you know, um, well, well, let me say thank you for contributing to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Anthology. You have a wonderful essay in there um, on the antidote to terrorism, which sort of segues into what you were just uh, talking about. You know, you listed several ideas in the article. You know, you compared the war against terrorism to cancer. You spoke about your belief a critical mass of women in circles with a spiritual center was the antidote to domination. Uh, that becomes the breeding ground, you know, for terrorists mm-hmm. and terrorism. You know, are we getting any traction at places like the UN or, or elsewhere, you know, especially with ISIL out there now, uh, this, these terrorist cells that they tell us are, you know, growing up everywhere? Is, is anyone listening to women where it matters? I don't know yet uh, because this is the uh, the upcoming UN meetings are on uh, Beijing plus 20 review, and Beijing being the 1995 Fourth World Conference on Women, out of which came the Beijing Platform for Action with 12 areas of concern uh, all in, you know, in effect. If these 12 areas had been attended to well, the women would be in much better shape than we are in. Um, the reports will come in about it, and, and I think what will be clear is that in some areas women are doing better than they we were 20 years ago, but overall a lot of awful things are happening to women and the planet, and I think of her also, you know, Mother Earth is, uh, Mother Earth and women suffer together. That's um, That's, that's for sure. And you were also uh, talking to your audience or our audience about Barbara Walker being an atheist, and you were gonna you were gonna start this interview off with. Well, I was gonna get to that, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you brought it up, so so you know, are are you a believer, uh, Jean, or is she just an archetype for you? No, I'm a uh, a spiritually. Um, I'm I'm a very spiritually centered person, and I would say that I'm a mystical activist and that my connection to divinity is uh, what has been part of my path all my life. So I I combine goddess with God, God, uh, the Tao, the 
I mean, I just think that we human beings have an amazing capacity for worship and awe, and that 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 we can step into this liminal place between the worlds, so to speak, where where there's an invisible uh, reality and there is a visible reality, and they mm-hmm. overlap. And wherever they overlap, we have experiences uh, of the divine. And right. human beings have worshipped everything for you know ever since. Well, we have we have the paintings in the 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 caves in in the south of France. We go if we can go and see them, they touch us because we had human beings make art and worship. And uh, goddess was worshipped long before God became monotheistic, the God. Um, but I I grew up uh, Christian, and so and that's my background still. So, and when I go to church, I go to to uh, Grace Cathedral where the labyrinth is, and and it's an Episcopalian uh, cathedral. And I have I've spoken, I've given a sermon there on Mother's Day, for that matter, and have talked about be, be, considering myself an Episcopalian because. <laughs> Because I like that goddess, because the <laughs> goddess part is 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 very strong. So I am definitely not a. Uh, I don't think it's a matter of belief so much as it is an experience of the the liminal world where where such things as energies are experienced. Yeah, I I think it's the things that are hard to language, you know, when you've had something like that happen and you know, you you I don't know if you're like me, but you know, I I I you know, I I'm the skeptic and I do sort of run it through my head, okay, am I deluding myself? Could this possibly be one of those, you know, magical mystical moments because, you know, it's it's so <laughs> yeah. precious. You know, right. you you don't want to, you know, you don't want to delude yourself, but by the same token, Sometimes there's no other rational explanation, I think, you know, than something is happening. Well, there's something that that affects us is so subjective that it's no one else's experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll 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 tell you because you're probably going to be gone later. Um but um it, you know, since we somehow got on, you know, we we we're going down this path a little bit. Um you know, we um at the Goddess Temple down in Orange County, we uh, installed uh, a, a larger-than-life-size statue of Sekhmet there uh, a year or so ago, mm-hmm. and it was a big. It was a big night. I mean, uh, everything possible. We did, you know, celebration, storytelling, dance, music, and when it came to unveiling her, mm-hmm. you know, nobody did this, but it happened, like on cue. The smoke alarms went off and the lights began to flicker, Ooh. and it, you know, and, and I and I and I hear I'm doing the goosebump thing again, right, but everybody right. ha- had that feeling. Okay, right. she is in the building. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you know, sure, there could have been a short. Maybe all of Orange County flickered for all we know. <laughs> but the time, but the timing was synchronistic. Yes. For what you yes. were doing, and that's that that synchronistic experience in which something that's going on that's deeply meaningful 
is reflected in the outer world and cannot be explained logically. Yeah. That the timing can't be explained logically. I mean, even if it were flickering all over Orange County, that you were right in the middle of that particular moment in the ritual when it happened was yeah. a synchronicity and uh, 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 things like statues can be imbued with energy by people or maybe it's there in the first place but it there there's something beyond just what's measurable in front of you right and, and for listeners who don't know she is a fire goddess that's just sort of added to it and uh yeah and um Jean Jean Houston's uh, uh late husband talked about essential statues i think he called them that did you know em- embody that certain essence or spirit that you know they were more than just a a lump of stone you know well you walk you walk up the stairs in the louvre and see the winged victory standing above you and it is a wow that is an archetypal energy as well as a beautiful statue Right. And I saw the I saw the replica on the island of Samothrace, and it was nothing. It didn't have any of that energy. You know, um, uh, in the British Museum, the one piece that really did it for me was in the Mesopotamian area. That uh, relief of Lilith, I felt she just radiated something, and. You know, even when I see her, you know, the one where she's got the talons for feet, right, and right. I think she has the the owls on either side of her. And that one, that one just, an yeah, and she just popped for me, you know. And and yeah. even now, still, whenever I see her, and I'm not particularly a Lilith uh, person, you know, but mm-hmm. there's something. There's really something there. Well, so, segment the lion-headed goddess. Uh, there's a a small building. Um, I think it's Luxor, maybe. But anyway, I I was I, I wrote about it in Crossing to, to Avalon. That, or no, I guess I wrote about it in Goddesses and Older Women about Sekhmet uh, being the image of Sekhmet, the lion-headed goddess. And I was I was taking a group of women there, and the sun was coming through the hole in the roof and illuminating the statue. And she had such power and such such kindness actually in in her face and one of the members of the group just went and sat at her feet in silence and and that that sunlight hit segment and then hit this woman's hair and she looked like a little girl Mm. who was finally safe and since we knew her history as an abused child it was so moving and she just responded to the you know, if she only if she had had a mother segment who could have protected her, and at that right. point she was a protected little girl, and that was, you know, uh, there was something about just sort of seeing the tableau and the energy of it that we were all touched by it. Yeah, and that's that yeah. liminal yeah. sort of energy that you can't explain and, and measure, but you can feel it. Most definitely. Well, and you know, and and I, 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 I'm really excited to talk to you about Artemis because um, I really felt something uh, for Artemis having visited uh, Turkey, uh, especially the sort of the Anatolian, Ephes- you know, Ephesian flavor of Artemis, even more so, I think, than mm-hmm. the Greek. 
And um, but I I feel like there's something about her that's very similar to Sekhmet, you know, um, because I don't believe the Sekhmet story, the only one that we know, you know, the one where she's basically a, a mercenary for her father Ra. I feel like that's a patriarchal story, and we maybe have lost Sekhmet's original stories. Um, but but I feel like she's got that sort of you know she's sort of a uh, a, a, an archetype for women's personal empowerment these days as well, you know, as they're encouraged to find their strength and tenacity and can say no without guilt and, um, you know, all of these things women need to do today to save themselves in the world. Well, Artemis is symbol, <clears throat> one of her symbols is the, is the mother bear and, um, and, and Sekhmet, the lion-headed goddess, or or a mother bear, they had a similar kind of uh, protective ferocity about them uh, in my in, in, in my reading of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also have a shadow side of uh, of rage and on behalf of principles and things that matter to them. And um, Artemis. <coughs> Is is a is a goddess archetype uh, that is liberated by has been liberated by the women's movement. So it's she is really around a lot, and she's around in the popular media amazingly right now with uh, with uh, Katniss uh, Everdeen with The Hunger Games and Merida in Brave and movies like Frozen and and I, I just saw uh, Anastasia Steele's the version of the movie version of Fifty Shades of Grey, and she also has an Artemis energy because all of them have have courage, <clears throat> and they they encounter things, and they they explore the wilderness, and for for thirty fifty shades of grey. The wilderness is her the, the the realm of sexuality and sensuality and and the curiosity that gets her up to a certain looking into S and M and then she just absolutely is not going to go any further than that you know she has right. a boundary of her own so this kind of energy that 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 goes uh, into areas that women have never gone into before that's what the women's movement did for a whole generation of women. They went into fields that women hadn't been in before. And they right. Were the, you know, so so it's been lived out, and it's uh, the women's movement liberated really this archetype because before, and in, in, in the Middle East and other places, the archetype is still very much uh, prohibited. Yeah, I like how you say that. You know that that she goes where women. It's almost like you know the old, the old saying on Star Trek. You know, we will boldly go where <laughs> yes, no where woman women has never gone, gone before. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I like that, that that you brought up Fifty Shades of Grey because I'll tell you I will I will be honest um, you know I was almost afraid to tell my feminist friends that I read that book and that I enjoyed that book and I think a lot of the the bad press is from people who didn't read the book because you really do see her she's in charge you know <laughs> it. it 
in the end. I mean, at least that's what I saw. She really was, you know, in in spite of how they might couch it, um, in that relationship she was, she, you know, she just sort of took the lead. She was not being dominated or uh, exploited or abused by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, and I'm I'm glad you had the courage to bring that up too. <laughs> well, and she also was vulnerable, but she had, uh, you know, Artemis is a virgin goddess, and a virgin goddess meaning that, or as an archetype, uh, the three virgin goddesses in Greek mythology were. Artemis, Athena, and Hestia, and they were the goddesses that were never raped or possessed or the mate of a, of, of a god. And that set them apart. But as an archetype, it is that part in a woman who is one unto herself or one in herself. It is that part that no matter what bad happened to her, including being raped, that there's a part of her that is not violated and a part of her that stays virginal one unto herself. I've been out uh, giving uh, talks where I can't help but go to Mary Oliver's, uh, the last line of her poem, A Summer Day. Uh, the last lines have to do with, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me. What do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Hmm. You know, precious is obvious, but wild, after I've been talking about the virgin in us, the virgin goddess archetype in us, the wild uh, part is that part that is who we came in, unworked on. It's like a virgin forest. It doesn't have, hasn't been logged, doesn't have roads through it. Uh, It is, uh, and I was was speaking in, a weekend ago uh, in at Women of Wisdom in Seattle, and I was uh, preceded by a harpist who played her own piece that was called The Secret Forest. And that was another way of, of metaphor of, of virgin for virgin. You know, that somewhere in us, the secret forest is that private, Untamed, wild, because and that's that's the one word in the title of uh, subtitle of Artemis. Indomitable. Indomitable means untamed, unsubdued. No matter what happens to you, if you hold on to that, if you stay in touch with that part, you do not identify with victim. You may have some really bad things happen to you, but you don't identify with victim. Right. I think you're reawakening that word, too. It's not a word we hear very often. Um, and, and, and you know, in, in you're bringing up this idea of the virgin archetype, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's hard sometimes for, you know, maybe listeners who haven't maybe done some of the reading you're talking about and haven't read about the the virgin goddesses. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean someone, it has nothing to do with sexuality, Maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. Well, usually virgin means that you are a woman or a maiden who has never had sex. Um, But the psychological archetype is that that is the one part of you that hasn't been penetrated or subdued or, or dominated 
It's a wonderful concept, actually. And it, it's a concept of appreciating that, uh, you know, other people may look at someone who has had a series of, of unfortunate kinds of things happen to her. But when I meet women like this at the UN, who may have been sold who, in, in a brothel, who may have had female genital mutilation done to her, who may have been on the streets, and who who now is working in an NGO and in, is in New York telling the rest of us what her organization is doing in the Congo or in India or in some place in the world where um, you'd think that she would have been obliterated by her experience, but no. She now is rescuing girls who are trafficked, knowing firsthand what it was like. So even though she was affected by that, she was not made into a victim. She turns around and uses what happened to her as the energy that helps her to rescue other people. And um, Eve Ensler's book, and I quote her, I I, I use a lot, in, in Artemis, more than any other book I've written, I use a lot of examples of, of of girls and women who exemplify in some way or another the virgin goddess archetype or Artemis archetype. And Eve Ensler, who, who uh, performed and then sent out in the world uh, the vagina monologues, and they've been performed all over the world by groups of women who've raised, who's, who've put, performed it, and then the money they get goes to stop abuse against women and girls. Well, in her in the body of the world, Eve for the first time talks about how she was abused by her father, raped and beaten by her father when she was a when she was a girl. Well, yes, that happened to her, but she's not a victim. That's what that's what a one into the self part. It means unsub indomitable means unsubdued and untamed, and it is a wonderful quality. So, Jean, put on your, your psychologist hat, and if you can explain what makes one person um, resilient and indomitable when they have horrible things happen to them, and as as opposed to another person who can't. Who can't rise? Who maybe, but does succumb to being the victim? What's what's you know? It's it's almost as if is there a um a, a uh, you know a, a switch that gets flipped? You know, what makes the difference? Well, I couldn't tell you for sure. I know that that um, you know I write about archetypes, and I think all the archetypes are potentially in all of us. So it means that every Every person, by the way, male as as well as female, would have an inner acquaintance to an Artemis archetype, if if you name them, that one unto herself, uh, feminine strength. Um, But archetypes are like all other human qualities, like musical abilities or artistic abilities or uh, athletic abilities or intelligence or whatever 
um, they're spread in the population, and some people have a lot more of one archetype than another, and or one ability, human ability than the other. So they're distributed. You know, you kind of come into the world archetypally. You see it in the newborn nursery. They're the the kind of uh, passivity versus the kind of activity. So partially, it may be what you come into the world with. <laughs> Uh, a tendency to be more Artemis, say, than Persephone. Persephone, who as an archetype is very receptive, adapts to everybody around her naturally, and if life turns out bad for her, she is the kind of person who often has been abducted into the underworld. I mean, that's her myth, but it is a myth of that 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 archetype that that has a tendency, so I, mean, I would say it's a tendency. Uh, and and one of the things is the other archetypes are potentially present. They can be encouraged to grow. Um, and there is in all of us our own sense of ourselves. We don't have to identify with a particular archetype. Right. Right. It, it, it sort of that old that old uh, be, um, discussion. Is it nature or nurture? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I had uh, some good friends had three sons, and you know, raised by the same parents in the same household under the same circumstances. Just a couple years, you know, separated them. One one boy goes on and he's a wonderful success. The other boy commits suicide. You know, um, and, and and it just makes you wonder. Uh, you know what makes one person, you know, succeed, another person, they they can't somehow they can't manage. Well, also uh, depending on your birth order, depending on what was happening between your parents at a certain t- crucial time in your life, just because you're a sibling in a particular family doesn't mean that you had a similar or the same rather family experience. Uh, you, you never know sometimes the favored son versus um, another son uh, representing the repressed part of a parent, and so it shows up in a child, and instead of appreciating those qualities, the parent will try to, to judge it and suppress it just like they've suppressed it in themselves. Ah, so it's complicated. I see. Yeah, yeah. Really complicated. Most definitely. Yeah. Well, well, you were bringing up the, all the wonderful, uh, you know, despite the patriarchy of Hollywood. I mean, which, uh, you know, it, with the feminist Oscars just uh, just Sunday with, uh, uh, the, you know, that actress uh, Arquette. Uh, you know, I guess they are maybe getting some things right. You know, you mentioned uh, some of the the recent films. Um, Did you want to talk about any of those characters? Do you have a favorite? Well, remember Artemis is the goddess of the moon and hunt. And so her image is of a woman whose realm is a wilderness and who, when in in her mythology, when she was three years old and was was, uh, met her father for the first time on Olympus, she knew that, and he said she he was so pleased with her that anything she wanted he, he would give it to her, and she wanted a bow and arrow and the 
uh, Katniss Everdeen and the Hunger Games heroine is has her bow and arrow. But this is metaphoric, too, that if you have an Artemis quality, you can aim for a target of your own and focus on it. The ability to focus on something that matters to you is an Artemis quality. And so the the ability to be goddess of the hunt is archetypally a capacity to focus on something and hit it, uh, a goal, for example. And and then the goddess of the moon is this whole ability to, to for mysticism, to see things by the light of the moon, to to have like an indigenous spirituality. I mean, you see the world by moonlight, and first of all, it's beautiful, and it it isn't all separate. It's all it's all part of of the oneness. And one of the uh, the first book I wrote was the Tao of Psychology: Synchronicity in the Self. And the first chapter I talk about how I now understood what the Tao is from remembering my experience as a Girl Scout and when I was about nine, by the way, at a camp up near Big Bear Lake, which is Artemis' symbol. And it had to do with sleeping under the stars and looking for uh, shooting stars in order to make a wish. And at some point, I had that altered state, subjective but real altered state of consciousness when I was looking up there and seeing it was beautiful and, and amazing the, to see the the Milky Way. If you grew up in Los Angeles and you go up in the mountains and you see the Milky Way for the first time, it is not only beautiful, it's amazing that those stars are there because you never see them in the light pollution in L.A. But at some point there was a shift in me and the altered state was the, the absolute sense that everything that I was related to this oneness. I was part of this beautiful universe that I had seen as out there before, and it shifted. And everything out there and I were one. And at that moment, I didn't have the words for knowing that this, that I was part of what the Tao was, the oneness that underlines all reality, uh, the mystical realm. And I'm amused in a way by another atheist, Barbara Ehrenrich, who uh, is now revealing to a wild god that when she was a teenager, she had an amazing experience out in nature of um, an altered state. And I think that the Artemis archetype invites that because her realm is nature. And nature is a place to feel oneness and luminosity and amazed and, and to appreciate beauty. And that is a whole spiritual dimension. So right. I think that Artemis is an access to a spiritual dimension, and she's also, you know, when her father Zeus said, what do you want, not only did she want a bow and arrow, but she wanted nymphs to play with or be with. And so as a young woman, she traveled with her group, her band of nymphs. So she, And, and from the moment she was born, she was the older of twins. So she helped her mother in a in her mother's terrible delivery uh, with the birth of Apollo. So she she always felt equal to brothers or men. <laughs> so she's yeah. egalitarian. She is not, she doesn't have, she doesn't, she's, she, she protects the young, she, she was the only goddess that ever came to the aid of her mother and had the power to do so. She had all of the basic uh, uh, causes 
shall we say, or or concerns of the feminists. She looked after the young animals. The, she she was a you know the the environmentalist, the feminist, the all of us who do these sorts of things have an Artemis archetype that's quite active in us, actually. Right. If you feel well, toward somebody, toward women in general, then that's the that's the Artemis archetype. Well, what I'm thinking too, um, our good friend James Reedfeld, who's also in the anthology, his new book on Artemis has just come out, but oh, he's I didn't focused. Know that. Yes, yes. Uh, it, really? it just it, it brand new book. Um, he, he's probably from a uh, you know from an ancient history perspective, he's probably the foremost authority on Artemis uh, in Ephesus, and mm-hmm. you can take his new book and actually see exactly how the cult worshipped. And ah. he's got these wonderful, uh, so many color pictures in his book, and one of them you see Zeus holding um, uh, Artemis in his hand, using her power as like uh, as a talisman, you know. Yeah. And her Ephesian letters were supposed to be some of the most powerful magical uh, words of ancient mm. time. You know, they used those as almost uh, amulets as well. In her sanctuary, mm. people thought if they tied a rope to her sanctuary and looped it around the town, any anyone within that the loop of that rope had her protection. So, you know, she it, it, then and now um mm-hmm. she she is a goddess um of of incredible of, of incredible power and strength and ability and who wouldn't want to emulate that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in the the book Artemis, I also was able to tell the the, the long the, the long and fascinating story of a, a human mortal that was under Artemis's protection, and and this was the the mortal Atalanta, who in in her story uh, was rejected at the moment of birth because her father, the king, expected a son and heir, and here a girl, and so she was taken to a mountain to be left to die, and. She didn't die, obviously, because a mother bear came along and suckled her and 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 uh, kept her warm. And and her first her first months or years uh, were uh, uh, raised by mother bear. And it said that the bear was sent uh, by Artemis, and that she was under Artemis's protection. And Atalanta is very much an Artemis woman. And and uh, at a time again where this is not what women did in ancient Greece, which was very patriarchal, it's, fasc- it's always been fascinating to me about how the stories of of goddesses or heroines uh, existed and continued to exist even when women were so oppressed that there was no way that they could live it out. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess maybe they need we need the, uh, those stories even more when we're oppressed. Oh, we you do. Know. We do. Well, and she's connected to the Amazons as well, right? Yeah, because they also can defend themselves and and use uh, bow and arrow. And you know, the assumption was that they were willing to cut off a breast in order to to uh, not twang it when they shot their arrows and things like that. So I mean they, the the idea of being being uh, associated with with 
with the ability to protect, really. I mean, I think the, the story of the rope around the city, the ability of Artemis to hold boundaries, for example, uh, so that when I was talking about the virgin goddess archetype, that no matter what happened to you that you couldn't help happen, because you were little and the people who did whatever they did were big, uh, some part of your psyche, in a, in a sense, had a Artemis rope around that part of you that remained sacred, virginal, untouched, unpenetrated. Um, and that's a wonderful feeling to yeah. recognize. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, you... You know, you you just, um, you know, it gives you a sense of confidence, you know, not having to live your life in fear. Um, You know, it it, it gives you this autonomy, this, um, and, and, you know, and then that liberates you to be able to do so many other things. Well, mainly if the the idea is, is, uh, and again, I refer to Artemis as being the archetype liberated by the women's movement because actually one of the sources I quote is Marlo Thomas's children's book, Free to Be You and Me, because within that there was the song, some the, 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 there's a place where a boy could grow up to be the man he was meant to be and a girl could grow up to be the woman she was meant to be, so that what what the women's movement is liberating women uh, to do is to be who they are. Yes, their authentic self. Yes, and what a, you know, what a joy it is to be able to live from inside out into whatever you do in the world. Not yeah, because have it you imposed know, on you. Yeah, because we have to remember it wasn't that long ago and I mean it's still and, and it still exists in in, you know, other places. Uh, you know, women and men, you know, sort of grow up in these uh, these boxes. You know, we have to conform if maybe we grow up in a certain religion or a certain segment of the population or a certain part of the world. Um, you know, all women aren't as lucky as we are living here in Blue State, California. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, the children children are girl children are 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 married off at 9 and 10 in some parts of the world. And even if they're older, they can't choose who they're going to marry. They can't choose much. There are lots of places in the world still where freedom of choice to become who you mean. You could be extraordinarily bright or talented, but if you couldn't get an education, then it wouldn't get developed. You know, it's it's kind of surprising that Artemis's myth could survive and thrive in a patriarchal culture. Um, you know, any theories on how that managed to be? Well, well, it's we Carl Jung's uh, collective unconscious is a really good way to help explain it. That that the collective unconscious has the instincts, the images, the the uh, whatever whatever is human uh, can be evoked from that level, 
and we recognize it. That's what we recognize when we, you know, when we read something, we can read a character who has a life very unlike ours, can be of a different gender than we are, etc. And yet, some part of us can recognize in that story something rings true or not true because it's that we we kind of have a knowledge deep inside ourselves about the range of human qualities. And uh, when they are suppressed, like in China, when women's feet were bound, they could just hobble around. They were just totally unable to be even physically competent to cross the room comfortably. And yet, the story of the archetype of a, of a woman warrior stayed in their imagination. And no matter how oppressed you are, if you hear a story that rings true to some part of you, this is what a lot of little, what a lot of children are sustained in abusive situation by the imagination of the connection with some story in themselves, and it it sees them through. Um, we all have like a, I, I think of it as an aquifer, that there's a there is a water source that lies underneath the land and as soon as you put down a well you tap into it and it comes up and so when it's possible to tune into that archetypal level uh it's there and then we find that it's a it's a shared human experience that we give a particular form to now you mentioned the the darker you know there's the darker side of the Artemis archetype. What would that look like? Well, well, all the archetypes except Hestia, the goddess who did not have a persona and who was considered in the fire at the center of a round hearth, and her presence made a home or a temple a sacred place. That interior serenity, solitude is a virgin goddess part of us as well. And so that's that inner part that in meditation or just in quiet, you can be in touch with something that that remains virginal one unto itself. So, um, but all the other archetypes have shadow side as well as positive qualities. And and, uh, hers was her, her rage when something she valued was disrespected when uh, in in the the hunt of the Caledon boar, which is one of Atalanta's stories, it is Artemis who creates out of the muck of the river a huge destructive boar because the king of Caledon offered sacrifices and honored all the divinities, including little local ones, and forgot or neglected to honor Artemis, and yet his kingdom was a kingdom of trees and forests. This was her (laughs) realm. And she, in her rage at being dissed, disrespected, dishonored, etc., she she set this this boar uh, to devastate his his realm. 
And in the early years of early years of feminism, there was also a, a bit of that was unleashed. Do you remember when women trashed each other because they weren't feminist enough? Oh God, that still goes on. <laughs> <laughs> I I get it all the time because I think some men actually have something worthwhile to say. You know, I'll I'll, I'll get it from the you know I'll get it from that side, and then I also get it from the you know from the side where. You know, from people who don't think feminism is a good thing. So <laughs> there's a lot to go around. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> but but believe me, that's 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 still yeah. alive and well, Jean. That's not just in the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that sort of outrage that that you know, if you are an activist, you 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 could have a problem with being just. Angry, <laughs> because yeah. what what is vulnerable that you value is being trashed in some way. What is what is what you honor is being dishonored. What shouldn't happen is happening, and so there is and there is an outrage because what you love, what you value is being so abused, and to not identify with that, but to have enough energy because you care about what is being harmed, uh, that leads to an activism, I mean, the activist woman who cares deeply, and most do, has to hold on to the love that she has for that which she is she is working to save in the face of being angry at what is being done. And if she gets taken over by her anger, she'll burn out. Right. Right. And this I, is why I, I Hesia, can... Is important because if you have a sacred center, if you are in a women's circle with a sacred center, and you go out in your activism supported by your sisters and supported by your spirituality, you don't get burnt out. Yeah, I, and and I can imagine if you know you you know uh, oh you know there's a critic born every minute you know so uh, even though somebody else may sit home on the couch you know they always want to tell you how maybe you could have done it better you know um, or or you know just people who just don't value you you know if that's stuff that sort of presses your buttons um, I guess you could call that the shadow side too if if you let it. Uh, if you aren't able to shake it off, if it, you know, maybe just really presses your buttons. I think you need one of uh, Artemis's ropes to encircle the boundary uh, so it bounces off. Yeah. Because you can, otherwise you give it energy instead of, or give them energy. And it, and it drains you. It drains you from the centered place that you could otherwise do more with well that's 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 you know valuable to think about because uh, i you know i'll admit i fall uh i fall prey to that sometimes you know it uh it can be difficult and you know this this does all take a lot of energy it does, but you also obviously have a lot of energy. You do an awful lot of stuff. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you really do. I mean, I follow what you do, and you're leading trips here, and you're writing, this, getting put the anthology there, and you're sending out emails, <laughs> and you have this program. <laughs> so, you're, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe you just need to imagine how much more time you would have for 
what you want to do with your one wild and precious life. <laughs> if you didn't listen to them, those people that that aren't contributing to true, true, absolutely. I I hear you. I hear you, and and you make me feel so good to know that you you actually pay attention to that sort of stuff. Thank you. Uh, you you honor me that you have time to notice. <laughs> Um, well, you were you were saying um, that you were about to take Artemis somewhere. Did you want to tell us about that? What is this event coming up? Uh, well, I'm going to the United Nations for the Commission on the Status of Women. Uh, and whenever the Commission on the Status of Women meets, which is official government appointee kinds of things, there is a parallel event where something like four or 5,000 women from NGOs from all over the world will be in New York and we give uh parallel, we give events. Uh we put on panels, we we do various things and go to each other's ones, we learn from people. Uh it's just lots and lots of stuff goes on and you never know what you're gonna be affected by when you go hear someone talk about the work or her organization. Well, this year I'm 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 on a panel called uh, Women and Girls Empower One Another, Lessons Learned from Beijing and the Women's Movement, because I'm an advocate for a Fifth Women's World Conference in Beijing. They had 50, you know, 40,000 uh, women from all over the world who influenced one another by being there. And so I get it that if, you, if we had a Fifth Women's World Conference, and especially if we had it in New Delhi, India, that could easily absorb 100,000 women from all over the world, as well as use all our Internet devices to stay in touch with and learn learn from it, how wonderful it would be to to further activate a global women's movement. So I'm out there doing that. And since Artemis is the archetype of this, this whole women's movement, I'm also giving a lecture followed by a conversation that I hope to have in small circles on the archetype, on the, the, well, the title is The Activist Archetype of Artemis. So I'm going to tell the women who come, who could be from anywhere in the world, about Artemis as the archetype that is the one that is in all of us that are doing the work we're doing at the UN and on behalf of women and girls and the environment, those areas are what Artemis activists are concerned about. Absolutely. Well, in the parliament, too. I mean, the parliament is about women. It's about the environment. Um, did you did you have plans to maybe be at the parliament uh, as well in October in Salt Lake City? Uh, the, Cir- the conveners of the Mayant Circle, a group of, of the 20 or so of us. I I think 15 or so of us are going to go there. We're we're going to um be at it. Uh we've we've proposed a a uh, a workshop on circles for the spiritual center. And um I've we Terry Tempest Williams and I have a a offering if they accept the proposal that we will be in conversation you know, she is a wonderful spiritual activist, and she wrote Refuge and a whole other number of books, and she, she's a Mormon. 
and she is an environmentalist and a wonderful woman and friend. And we never have time for a conversation in depth about how did she go from being a Mormon and how did I go from being a Presbyterian to who we are now. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> that would and, be interesting. You know, and, what, and, so, and what we're doing, you know. So we are, we are proposing a conversation between the two of us about um, that we hope as often happens when you tell your own story, it rings true, it rings a chord in, in listeners. Absolutely. So so that's what I plan to be doing in uh, Salt Lake City, and yes, I'll be there. Well, I look forward to seeing you. I'm I'm planning to uh to be there myself and uh it, it will be nice to hear that conversation. <laughs> well see the book The Million Circle uh started the Million Circle initiative which brought me to the UN in the first place and it began with a group of women at the Parliament of World Religions in, in South Africa. I see. Okay. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I can't help but ask, and I hope it doesn't put you on the spot, are you feeling good about a Hillary presidency? Yes, I think she's the most qualified person who's ever run for president. She's been through the fire. She knows the leaders and has managed to get along with them from all over the world, and those men from all over the world are difficult, a lot of them. So, yes, I think that um, women should get behind her and support her. Okay. I think she'll represent uh, women well. And and I guess my final question, and then I will let you go, uh, for listeners out there who uh, who want to make a difference, who you know maybe want to become an activist, who want to try to help shift things, uh, any particular advice you might want to share? Well, um, there's a lot on the website that is is 5wcw.org, which is for Fifth Women's World Conference about women in, in the UN. But basically, I think rather than that, uh, it 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 is to speak up. <laughs> To, to check with your heart about is your heart in this, and will it give you the courage to speak the truth to power? You know that's what we used to say back in the day, early days of feminism, but it's still true. Yep, yep. Uh, and then I you mean, take the it, first step, and it leads to a couple more steps. Absolutely. So, in in closing, is there anything you wanted to? Um, you know, leave listeners with or share that maybe I haven't asked? <laughs> well, I would like them to to look at my website. There's a lot on it, and it's just plain Jean Bolin, J-E-A-N-B-O-L-E-N.com. And I like to keep people informed about what I'm feeling and thinking, and so once in a while, which is approximately once a month, if they'll sign into receiving a email thing from me, they'll get a, a colorful um, newsletter e-blast about once a month, more or less. Okay. I'd like that if they would. In your book, um, All the Usual Places, I would imagine. 
Yes, and also be, uh, up through March 31st, because of, I'm going to the UN and because most of my Canary books are so activist-oriented, at least a half of them are, and then the last one, Artemis, is one of them. Um, if you have a women's circle and you really want to uh, get many copies, uh, they'll give it. They'll, you can you can buy it from my publisher at fifty percent off, which is nice. What a deal! <laughs> right, oh, so it's very hard to order multiple copies from any of the other usual sources, and and it's wonderful to say start a circle. I think a women's circle is the best thing you can do for yourself if you choose oh. well. Who's in your circle? Yes, yes, most definitely. I've been part of a wisdom circle for a couple of years now, and it so nourishes you. You know, you, you always know you have that circle to depend on, to bounce things off of, for support, for, uh, you know, just uh, to try new ideas. You know, it, it, it just feeds you in so many ways. It certainly does, and, and it can last the rest of your life. Absolutely. And, and I think... Yeah. Well, Jean, thank you. Thank you so much for everything you're doing out there in the world. Thank you again for being in the anthology. Um, I look so forward to seeing you uh, at the Parliament and uh, who knows, maybe even at the UN one day. And um, I haven't got a chance to read your book yet on Artemis, but uh, I, I most definitely relate to that archetype, so I most definitely will be reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And, uh, and, and, and be well and good luck with everything. Thank you very much. Same to you, Karen, as you go out in the world doing what you do and, and doing it well. So carry oh, on. Thank you so much. Thank you. And tell, Be- tell Betty hello. Thank you. Good night. I will. Well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, Jean is such a wonderful, uh, wise woman. Um, So glad to have the opportunity to speak to her. Well, we are crossing the threshold into the second uh, part of the show, and uh, I thought you might like to um, hear our sacred roar. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here. Oh, here this is this is our new sacred roar. In case you haven't found it yet, because if you're uh, the Artemis archetype, if you're that Mama Grizzly, if um, you know you're that indomitable spirit, you know you, you want to have your sacred roar. And here it is. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear the crickets in the background too, and that, that is really a roar. Um, you know, that's that's not uh, uh, artificially made. That uh, is is an actual animal roar. So, I think we are all being called uh, to find uh, that sacred roar. So, uh, as I said, we're crossing the threshold into the second part of the show, and. Um, uh, as always, we uh, have to hear from Joe Carson, and uh, here she is. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and the divine were all connected. They were together. 
that there wasn't a separation. And that's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. Sex is sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, that uh, that was uh, one of the speakers uh, that is part of the Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. And uh, Dancing with Gaia is a film uh, that comes with a 45-page mini book for only $20. And it speaks about uh, connecting with nature, sacred sexuality, um, you know, how to connect with that feeling of interconnection. Because, you know, um, maybe it's not something you grew up with. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe you need some tips. Um, maybe you need to, you know, approach it from a, a fresh perspective. Anyway, uh, dancingwithgaia.com is the website. And, um, you know, $20, you can't beat it, a book and a film. It's one of those things that uh, I really do believe you want to have in your library. And it's great for someone who's maybe new to this, and I think it's good for someone uh, to refresh themselves. So thank you, Joe Carson. And... um, Let's see, stay with me for a few uh, brief announcements, and I promise you'll be rewarded with hearing that excerpt uh, from my chapter, Three Times Goddess Noticed, and then Ten Ways uh, to Make a Difference. Uh, But briefly, uh, I want to make sure you know that the cutoff date for the Turkey trip is in a few weeks. Uh, Before you know it, it is going to be April 1st, so let's just call it April Fool's Day. Um, We have to be serious about this now. If you've been on the fence trying to make up your mind, uh, we have to hear from you pronto. We're only going to take 20 people, and um, you need to tell us uh, by April 1st. In fact, you have to have your deposits down by April 1st. Uh, If you want to tell us your intentions before then, that's even better, Uh, but you'll have to you know, do the paperwork and sign up and do all that by April 1st. And, uh, you know, I hate to sound like PBS, but uh, it's the reality of the situation. Uh, I'm asking you for your support uh, to help keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air. Uh, you know, there's this saying that, um, uh, you know, the things that we nurture survive and the things that we neglect withers. So I hope um, that uh, you may help uh, support the show. Uh, You may or may not know I pay for the airtime out of my own pocket uh, in order to give our wise guests, like tonight's uh, wonderful uh, woman, Jean Schnoda Boland, give our wise guests a platform to share their wisdom uh, with everyone. So I hope you will help me continue to do that. Even small donations of $5 are appreciated. You can go to my website, KarenTate.com, or buy a book. Uh, you know, all of that helps. So um, think about it. Again, you know, what do you uh, support and nurture thrives and what you neglect withers. It's an important lesson for, you know, all phases of our lives. 
And please also hit the follow button you see on my blog talk uh, homepage. Uh, that will make you a member of the Voices of the Sacred Feminine Family, and you won't miss um, any notices of uh, great guests that come each week. And just quickly, um, lots happening in March. On the 14th, there's a sister-making class in Venice. Uh, also, the first uh, Joseph Campbell Roundtable begins. Uh, it's uh, you know a, a new roundtable, uh, also in the Venice area. Both are on March 14th. Uh, if you want more information about that, let me know. The first speaker of the Joseph Campbell Roundtable of Venice is going to be Dr. Riedfeld, who is leading the tour with me. And uh, he's going to be talking about his new book, uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, then if um, you're into ancient cultures uh, or goddesses like Artemis, Isis, Cabelli, Mary, Magna Mater, Hecate, uh, then you're going to want to know about the book launch party and ritual for Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, that's going to be March 28th at the Goddess Temple of Orange County. And it's absolutely free. There's going to be a talk and an authentic ritual. You'll learn the Ephesian letters. And uh, I think it's going to be very exciting because this is maybe the first time such an authentic ritual of Artemis has been done in in, um, in contemporary times, uh, probably the first one in thousands of years. And speaking of the Goddess Temple, if you uh, haven't been there yet, this is you know that party on the 28th is a great excuse to visit because um, I can't think of a finer place to be a house of goddess. Uh, not only is it beautiful, uh, a wonderful place of substance, but there's lots going on there. It's going to uh, soon be. Um, uh, classified as a museum and cultural center. It's one of only a handful of actual brick-and-mortar goddess temples on the face of the earth, and that is no small deal. Uh, they have services every Sunday. Uh, the fourth Sunday of the month is for families, and men are included. There's a Venus hour every Friday. So you might want to look them up, goddesstempleofoc.com. And uh, mid-July, if you're in the Nashville, Tennessee area, there's going to be a goddess conference. Uh, I'll be telling you more about that um, as time gets closer. But let's go ahead and get to those things I promised. Uh, let me start with three times goddess noticed. And uh, you can actually find this in my book, uh, Goddess Calling. But I'll share it with you now because um, so many of you enjoy it and uh you know, I I like to share things with you that um, I think you know you will enjoy, and so here we go. Now that that siren's out of the way, uh, as I prepared to write a book on sacred sites of goddess in Turkey and uh, consider leading another tour to Anatolia or land of the nourishing mothers, my mind returned to our last trip to a rural and out of the way place in Turkey called Pessinus. Pessinus was sacred in ancient times as a center dedicated to Cabeli, or maybe you call her Cybele. Though her temple remains hidden beneath the sands of time and is as yet undiscovered by contemporary archaeologists. This telling of my time in Pessinus might all sound trivial, but I remember feelings of sacredness presenting itself in surprising ways. Although we didn't find Cabelli's temple, I believe I felt her there. It seemed her essence was alive in the people and the energy of this rural place. 
Burned into my memory were the kids playing with their cows, adoring their heads with costume jewelry, jumping on their backs, talking to them, or walking them down the main road, much more than a mud pathway. It was obvious this was just a daily occurrence there, this joyous and playful interaction with their cows. As a city girl, I marveled at seeing the cows responding to the kids, like my cat would when I play with her at home. There was a special relationship there between humans and beasts, calling to my mind the goddess as mistress of the animals. That was not the only thing I remember about walking down that muddy road in Pessinus. What caught my eye and seared my memory was this old crone sitting in her doorway. She silently watched the kids, the cows, and our entourage looking for the essence of Cabelli. The old woman was dressed in what we Westerners might call a costume, though I suspect it might have been her native dress. She wasn't there selling anything or trying to make herself visible in any fashion, but there was something about her gaze. It grabbed me and seemed to follow me. Though it was years ago, it feels like it was yesterday. Don't laugh, but it felt as if she was a conduit to goddess, or goddess in human form, overseeing our, our pilgrimage. I had this sense that our visit was not going unnoticed. Then fast forward uh, to a few years later, and it happened again. My husband and I came to an arrangement to temporarily loan to the Goddess Temple and Cultural Center of Orange County in Irvine, California, a statue from our personal collection. And on Saturday night, June 22, 2013, under the fullness of a supermoon, the newly installed, larger-than-life-size statue of the Egyptian lion-headed goddess Sekhmet was consecrated before the public. She was welcomed to a packed house of women and men on hand to welcome her to her new temporary home. High atop her four-feet-tall, pyramid-shaped base, Sekhmet dominated the room in regal splendor. It was hardly a surprise. During the instant of her unveiling, smoke alarms suddenly went off and lights began to flicker, leaving no doubt to all assembled she was definitely in the sanctuary. Simply put, we believe Sekhmet noticed our devotion and let us know she was in the building. The evening was filled with music, singing, dancing, drumming, and recitations to dispel the the disinformation about her most well-known myth, a patriarchal one perhaps designed to cause women to be feared or women to fear their own power. Sekhmet, a solar deity known today to help women and men transform and empower themselves, is rising at a crucial time in our history. Have no doubt she's on the rise as people strive to find their strength, tenacity, passion, creativity, and courage, their sacred roar. Some readers might not know me well yet, but I don't have these kinds of feelings often or casually. I tend to be more skeptical and question things, not allowing myself flights of fancy. Turkey, however, felt more potent to me than a lot of places that veil between past and present goddess and mortal felt just a little thinner. Certainly at the goddess temple of Orange County, Sekhmet was with us. Reminds me of what Jean was saying, that liminal space that we find ourselves in sometimes, that place between the world. And finally, there was this, validating for a third time that goddess notices. 
Practically to the day, I was notified that John Hunt Publishing accepted my proposal for my new book, God is Calling. My beloved husband of 30 years had a heart attack. I rushed him to the emergency room of the hospital, and within the hour, he was having surgery. In those surreal moments of confusion, fear, panic, shock, and worry, I got on the phone and called the women in my circle of friends to enlist their prayers, and of course I prayed. Roy came through the surgery fine, and I that first night he was in that first night he was in the hospital, I went home to try to get a good night's sleep and prepare myself for the caregiving that was ahead, and I dreamed. And surprisingly I remembered the dream. I dreamed I was in a large, cavernous room full of women. The energy was chaotic and their voices were garbled and loud. Then from nowhere, a woman whose face I didn't recognize approached and I knew her to be an Isian priestess of Isis. She put three coins in my hand, not the metal variety that we're used to seeing today, but the more ancient clay or terracotta-type coin. On them were engraved images of Egyptian gods and goddesses. As I gazed upon them, the images became colorful, and they began to move. In my mind, I heard the words, the gods are activated, and I knew goddess and the divine masculine, perhaps Toth or Anubis, heard the prayers of myself and the women in our community. Again, I was reminded, the great she hears our prayers, and I'm sharing this with you so you have no doubt that she notices. So, I hope you uh, enjoyed that. And um, the other thing I promised to share with you tonight is something I just uh, put together rather recently. Uh, It's called Ten Ways to Make a Difference. And um, at some point I'm going to elaborate on these. Right now they're just a list. But these are the ten things. I think most of us can try to find uh, some of these things to do, if not all of them. Number one, take responsibility for your own education. Number two, share your knowledge. Number three, speak with your wallet. Number four, think and act, both locally and globally. Number five, be the change you want in the world. Number six, reconcile your spirituality and your politics. Number seven, use your sacred roar. Number eight, volunteer. Number nine, don't support organizations whose actions or values are contrary to yours or goddess. And number 10, be proactive and positive, always practicing gratitude and partnership. Okie doke. Well, I uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, next week uh, the show will be on Thursday, March 5th. Yes, I did say Thursday. I will have with us a tonal alchemist. That's what she calls herself. Her name is Mary Electra, and we're going to be discussing the power of sound. Then Tuesday of the following week, yes, Tuesday, March 10th, Dr. Reedfeld will be with me. James is uh, kicking off uh, the Joseph Campbell Roundtable in Venice, as I said, uh, with his talk on Artemis, and he will also be here on the show uh, talking about his new book, Artemis of the Ephesians, Her uh, Mystery, Magic, and Sacred Landscape. 
So, uh, and I think I would like to close the show tonight uh, with this quote uh, by Karen Armstrong. I got it from the Parliament of Council for the Parliament of World Religions site. She says, And unless we learn to implement the golden rule globally so that we treat all people, all nations, as we would wish to be treated ourselves, we will not have a viable world to hand on to the next generation. So true, Dr. Karen Armstrong. Well, thank you, dear listeners, uh, for another show. Thank you for your time. I know there's lots of things you could do with it. Uh, It means a lot that you care enough uh, to be here with me, to send me your emails. Um, And, you know, when you can, it really means a lot when you can help support the show monetarily or by my books. But, you know, if you can't do that, I understand. But send me an email once in a while. Um, Give me your thoughts. Uh, Send me show ideas. Let me know what you like about the show. And even let me know what you don't like about the show. I might not always agree with you, but, you know, we can still be friends. All right, so to uh, close off tonight's show, Dorn, I wish I had uh, some music about Artemis, uh, but I don't. So I think I will uh, play this by Alea Deo, who I haven't used in a while. This is called Awaken, because I think that's what we're trying to do. We are trying to awaken the world. We are trying to awaken ourselves. So here we go. Thank you, dear listeners. Until next time, have a wonderful weekend and good night. Time to-